This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Yes, it is the Subway to Shade podcast. Anthony Rivera here with you talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. You can follow the show on Twitter at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on anchor.fm. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. Turn on notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. You can also find Subway to Shea on YouTube. This podcast is available on the HSP Network. Catch me alongside podcasts like The Bullpen with DA, The Third Floor Lounge, which covers the NFL and NBA, Sus Talk, and the return of the High Spot Podcast, which covers all things professional wrestling just search high spot podcast on youtube or youtube.com slash high spot podcast and make sure to subscribe today if you can also do me a favor please take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think of the show what you like what you don't like i want to know both i want to make this show better each and every week for you met fans out there so do me a favor rate the show leave me a review you can do that on apple Podcasts. the better the rating the higher my podcast gets out there, the more listeners it gets to out there. So rate, review the show, and joining me now on the Subway to Shape podcast is Mike Silva, host of the Talkin' Mets podcast. That's Talkin' with no G. So when you go on to check it out, make sure you put Talkin' with a no G, Talkin' Mets podcast. Mike, how you doing, buddy? Thank you. Great introduction. That's my uh, Long Islandese, Brooklynese, Talkin' with no G. You know, we <laughs> like to eat. New Yorkers like to chew their words, and I guess I did that in the, in the title. But Anthony, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. All right, Mike. Mike, we have a lot to talk about uh, from the media coverage of the Rally Raccoon to Donnie Stevenson and Chili Davis, the whole firing saga. But let's get down to the big news that happened on Monday, and that is Jacob deGrom heading to the injured list. Now, I have the quote that the Mets released and says, uh, results from the MRI taken on Jacob deGrom last night were clean of any issues. However, the Mets intend to place deGrom on the injured list tomorrow, retroactive to May 10th, with right side tightness and will announce a corresponding move at that time. What are your thoughts on the move by uh, the Mets doing this? Well, it's the best case scenario. And I, I was talking about this on the last show that, you know, all the good that you know, despite all the, the craziness and the offense being what it is and really at times not the greatest start. And there's been some wins that even though they've won, you haven't felt good about some of the execution again, specifically on the offense, but the pitching has been so good. But part of that is that you have guys like DeGrom and Stroman pitching like top of the rotation guys and got and they're getting you to the you know sixth seventh inning the minute you lose your ace that changes the whole equation and now you have a bullpen that's going to be taxed more you're not going to get that guaranteed high level start every five days so the fact that it'll be out let's say two weeks let's say through the road trip let's think positively this is the best news possible i was under no 
delusion that he was going to not go on the deep. It'd be foolish to take precaution, you know, not to be uh, cautious now. And, uh, you know, you got to believe when they say that they're, you know, I know there was some media members like Buster only was saying that's a bit of a contradiction. Look, he's tight. He's hurting himself. And if he's tight, just because there's nothing wrong doesn't mean he's not sore. And when you sore, you make adjustments to your mechanics. And guess what? Adjusting, adjustments in mechanics can lead to elbow issues, shoulder issues, all it takes is one pitch that you, you know, execute in a compromised manner and something else crops up. So why take the chance now? It's early in the season. Uh, they should be able to navigate a couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, before you know it, in three, four weeks, they're going to have reinforcements. You'll have Syndergaard back. You'll have Carrasco back. Hopefully Syndergaard will be back healthy. So you're not looking for a long period of time. And they right now have done a good job bringing in uh, depth pieces that may not be great in terms of who they are individually. But the downgrade from the starters and their normal players to these guys is not the same downgrade that you're typically used to with the Mets in prior years. So they're in a pretty good position, I think, right now. Yeah, I think it's a smart move, especially with the time time frame that we have and all the days that are off for them they'll be able to skip a spot in the rotation you know this gives DeGrom like you said time to rest so he could be 100 percent I'd rather have him miss one or two starts than a long amount of time and it also gives them the flexibility to bring up another arm we know in the past that they've been undermanned especially you know in the beginning of the season when they didn't want to put Nimmo on the DL or they didn't want to put Davis and they were undermanned on the bench so this is a good opportunity for DeGrom to get rested for them to bring up another arm. And I think, if I'm correct, Noah Syndergaard went through this injury a couple of years ago, and he kind of missed most of the season. Right. I mean, lats are, are serious. You know, they're a soft muscle tear. Now, what Noah, if I remember correctly, had a partial tear. Steven Matz, going back to 2015, when he first came up, if you look back, he had a strain. He was out from, like, the middle of July, the All-Star break, to the middle of September. You have to treat it very carefully. Um, because, I mean, look, that's your side. That's, you know, where you push off, potentially, depending on where it is. And and it's it's like anything else. You you have a pain in your in your side or your back. It's going to compromise your mechanics. Your compromised mechanics will lead to two things. One, you won't be as effective. And then two, you're going to hurt another part of your body. Everything is connected when you're a pitcher. Uh, the Mets, you know, in the past might be hesitant to put DeGrom on the injury list because, well, what are the optics? It'll, it'll, it'll lead to the speculation that they're hiding an injury. Now they're basically saying, hey, look, you want to believe him, you don't want to believe him, that's up to you. It's a precautionary measure and we're giving him a rest to get it worked out and we don't care what you think. And also, you don't want to play shorthanded because in the past they have him, they wouldn't put him on the DL for PR reasons and now you're playing with a short bench or... It, it didn't make any sense. So they're they're functioning much better from a standpoint where they're making moves for the right reasons. And again, this is the best case scenario that you could have gotten. There was no other scenario better than this. I did not think you were going to get a report saying, all right, he'll be starting in, uh, you know, five days. Uh, you knew they were going to uh, take a cautious route. Now, how all this came about, DeGrom had missed a start last week with the right lat inflammation, came back mm-hmm. Sunday against the Diamondbacks, pitched five innings, one hit, one run, but he just didn't look right. You know, I saw him wince a couple of times. You could see him touch his side, touch his back. Were you okay with the decision for him to even go against the Diamondbacks on Sunday? I think you leave it up to the player. I'm all for players grinding through injuries. Players know their body. And you have to also understand who you're dealing with. There's irresponsible players and players that are going to lie about how they feel. But I don't think he'd go out there unless he felt that uh, he wasn't at risk for further injury. But think about this. We're at a point in his career arc where he doesn't have a good out. And it's five innings, one run. I think he struck out five. He struck out a batter per inning. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's considered a bad out. Is he already one? up from 0.5 to like 0.6. He wasn't great. You know, there's been some really dominant outings like against Washington 
did. And then it's been outings like opening day against the Phillies and, and yesterday where he, he hasn't been his, himself and he's still dominating. Think about where he's at. Think about that, what we're seeing, that gift that you have in front of you. Very few pitchers in my lifetime can you say this guy was off. And by the way, when you look up, you know, and, and you, maybe you saw it like with the Maddoxes and the Smoltz and guys like that where you'd face them and you knew they weren't themselves, but then you'd look up at the scoreboard and they would get, you know, they went seven innings, two runs. And you'd say, damn, when, when can I get a guy like that? Well, you have one. You have one like that where even in his less than perfect uh, situations, he's able to navigate lineups. Uh, you know, I may got a little lucky with some hard contact, but you know what? You know, in the middle innings of, you know, three, four, five, he was pretty much vintage Dick Jacob DeGrom until he got that bases loaded situation. And he cleaned up the mess with minimal damage. Can't ask for more than that. Now, it just seems like even with this five-game winning streak, the Mets can't win, especially with the media. I know you've spoken out against the media coverage of the team on your podcast, and that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to have you on this show today. Let's go over a couple instances that's taken place already this week. Uh, obviously, you mentioned the whole Buster-only thing, and, you know, I got a little frustrated reading his thing because right off the bat, it's, you know, the, the team is not being, they're not giving out the information, they're not being uh, complete with what's going on. I mean, it's like they can't win. You know, if they don't put DeGrom on the injured list, you know, they'll get blasted for that. If they do it, they get blasted for that as well. You know, what gives with this? I was uh, listening to another sport. I was listening to the morning show on the NBA radio with Brian Scalabrini and Frank Isola. And they were talking about something similar this morning about how with the Knicks, at the beginning of the year, it was all about, you know, Tom Thibodeau is playing them too many minutes. And now yesterday, Derrick Rose plays 32 minutes in there, you know, talking him about, well, you know, are you okay with playing, uh, you know, you're playing great minutes, you're playing starter minutes, but you're coming off the bench and it's like, well, you know, you can't win. It's either too many minutes, too little minutes. Do you want to play more minutes? And it's a narrative that creates dialogue and it creates a theme and a story and it kind of writes yourself. It's unfortunately, whether it be sports, politics, serious stuff in our world, you're seeing that. I think part of that is there's too much content that needs to be filled. So how do you fill it? By manufactured debate. Uh, I think some of it is that the people that are in these positions now are not really knowledgeable about the topics in front of their knowledgeable in a myopic way. The Mets for so long have been an easy, and look, they still had tons of crazy stuff happen to them between the off the field scandals, you know, with uh, the management and, and some of the, the things that happened in management to the Trevor Bauer fiasco to this rat and raccoon stuff. I mean, they still got stuff that, you know, all the things that have happened since, let's say, spring training, you couldn't make this stuff up. But it's easier to have your laugh out loud Mets or your Mets are that team that always shoots itself in the foot uh, and you want to perpetuate that theme. You know, the other thing is, I think, you know, there's a lot of guys and there's a lot of good beat reporters. I love Tim, Justin Toscano and Tim Healy does some great work, you know, and then there's also national guys, you know, guys like Kevin Kernan and Mike Vaccaro, I have tons of respect for. Um, but, you know, there's also a lot of guys on that beat that get a kick out of, you know, beating on the team. And, um, you know, unfortunately, it's been easy in the past because the Mets have kind of allowed it to happen. But I think what you saw this weekend is... They had a controversy, which really wasn't, and they used humor to diffuse it. But the ma but management, meaning Luis Rojas and Zach Scott, the lie and cover-up, they just said, hey, it's not a big deal in our eyes because it's been solved. And not how we would handle it, but, you know, this is not something that I want to belabor. They didn't add fuel to the fire. And guess what? It got cut off. It's history. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's going to be a change for the media because that's the kind of stuff that teams like the Yankees and, the, you know, the football giants at one point, they used to stay away from that stuff because they handled it that way. And now hopefully the Mets have turned in the corner and it's not going to be overnight. Old habits die hard. And let's face it, you know, when you have a job to write a story, getting clicks with drama 
is always better than writing about the mechanics of, you know, pitching or, you know, a hitter's mechanics or just writing about baseball. We've gotten away from pure baseball because, unfortunately, pure baseball isn't a sexy headline. We're going to get into a lot of what's going on on the field. But, you know, you've mentioned about the whole raccoon thing and, you know, the whole, I like to call it the tussle in the tunnel between Lindor and McNeil. Now, I know they've not been in sync on the field a few times and both seem frustrated. And you know what? Maybe they did get into an argument. But again, you have some media members assuming what happened, going as far as to say that Jeff McNeil had a black eye and a bloody lip. You know, I posted a picture on Twitter and he looked perfectly fine to me. Nothing's wrong with him. Mike, the reach just seems so far in trying to write a scathing story on this team. Even going back in time with, um, you know, Vince Coleman, you got the issues between Keith Hernandez and Daryl Strawberry. Even the media basically running Tom Seaver out of town. Do you agree that this just is very toxic in in trying to get these scathing stories against the Mets? I looked through and I wasn't around for Seaver. I was I was born in the late 70s, but you know Dick Young did that, uh, and that's also a different. You know, during that era, you know, from what I understand, that was also the beginning of free agency, and and the divide and the power between the writer and the player was starting to shift. The gap between their salary and the player's salary was starting to shift, and I think a guy like Dick Young didn't like it. He didn't like a player like Seaver dictating the terms you know they very much were into the i would call the reserve clause mindset where you know you shut up and play ball and take whatever you give you kind of mindset which is preposterous considering that you got 700 guys out there thereabouts in a baseball professional baseball team that you know only 700 guys are good enough to do that job you know that's simple economics supply and demand they deserve you know that piece of the pie uh and i lived through and Bobby Valentine stuff. And, you know, those were real. You know, that was drama played out with, um, you know, even the Knicks over the years and the football giants when Jeremy Shockey was around and, you know, you know Rex Ryan Jets. You know, there's been some real controversy uh, that the teams have put out there and, 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 and flamed. This was not that. And I think they were trying to see if there was a, uh, you know, a new player with a big contract with this smile that's coming from Cleveland. Let's, uh, let's see what, you know, he's slumping. Let's see what he's got. And uh, they tried to fan the flames and... To me, this all starts and the advent of Zoom and the Zoom coverage. It's hard to get a full story. See, this is where I feel for the guys covering the team because there's only so much you can get out of Zoom. It's a beautiful tool. And to remotely work as a beat writer, to have some kind of work-life balance is, is, is huge. They don't get paid a ton of money. And, and and they do the travel. In normal times, they do the travel of the players, but they don't get the payment nearly of the players. So you're trying to cover the team remotely, quote-unquote, and this is the perfect story to kind of get you through through because those little sidebar stories that you're able to go into the corner of a locker room and talk to J.D. Davis or Brandon Nemo or Sean Reed Foley and get a nice you know story on a, on an off day like today, you can't do that right now because if they're not available to you in, over Zoom or you haven't been able to make a personal connection and get their phone number, what are you going to write about? There's only so much game story you can write. So if you manufacture something like this, it keeps on giving. Remember, media is a business and they're the business of fear and drama, whether it's sports or it's politics you've seen it play out very much so over the last 15 months on much more serious issues than baseball without those fear and and all that stuff and drama it becomes normal and it becomes uh, somewhat uh, textbook and educational and then you don't have the broader base of of clicks and eyeballs and eventually uh you know you're going to get a call from the editor saying what the hell's going on so you know that's always going to happen. It's going to happen tenfold here in New York. You as a player and a team have to be smart enough to know how to defuse it. And I think the Mets did a pretty good job. And I'll certainly say Lindor and McNeil handled it quite differently than I would. 
and they got away with it because I think they were basically saying, hey, guys, this is no big deal. Let's make a joke of it. That's the second time the Mets have made a joke out of something. The other time was the, you know, the, obviously the Donnie Stevenson uh, moniker. Do you think that the Zoom is the new era of covering sports now? I think there's going to be a component of control. Now, does Zoom get replaced with back to the press room with the dais? Possibly. I think... Look, I've, I haven't been in a ton of clubhouses. I've always covered the team from an independent perspective. Not and, and my my coverage or my whole existence doesn't rely on standing in the locker room waiting for a player's quote and writing game stories. That's not who I am. You know, the only times I've covered, whether it be mainly minor league but a big league club, you, know, you try to grab somebody, you're trying to get a feature down, you're trying to do something different. But basically, you stand in the locker room in, in normal times. You're basically, it's like, you know, you and I are living in our house, and there are these strangers standing in our living room in the middle of it, and they may come talk to me, they may not. They have an hour of access to my house to talk to my family, and they may come up to me, they may not. When they come up to me, I talk to them, and then they leave, and they write a story. That's what it is. That's what basically you're doing. So at some point, you're invading their personal space. There's only so many ways you can repackage the same quote they're being taught not to say a lot because they're afraid of how their words are going to be misconstrued especially now in the me too era and the era of political correctness everything can be misconstrued uh not so much about the game of baseball but when people come up to you in that locker room don't be fooled i know for a fact people have asked off-topic things that may not be inappropriate but there are ways of going down a rabbit hole that could get you in trouble so uh i think getting them out of the locker room is going to be the first thing i think the players don't want them there and they want less of them in there and I think controlling the access to B, the team will provide you A, the team will provide you B. That's where it's going. And that's going to make coverage of the team that much harder because, you know, notice after the game, Anthony, you're not getting a lot of Twitter action. I mean, think about yesterday. Mets win a big game. How much Twitter dialogue was there after the game yesterday? Very little. Look at your timeline. Yeah. The beat writers aren't giving you anything because they don't have any access. You get the Louis Rojas quote, which, by the way, even if you're independent media like me, I can, I'm subscribed to MLB Press. I can get those zooms on my own. I don't need them. Right. Um, the fans can get that on SNY.TV. So really at this point, the team's controlling the message. Think about the rat raccoon. Didn't the Mets not control that message from start to finish? Oh, they yeah. Completely. That was like a Matumbo brick wall. You didn't get past it. Now, it doesn't make us understand this as much. I've heard that, you know, this went back all the way to Chicago. There's been some talk of that, uh, their disagreement. I personally think, you know why there was a disagreement? I think the shifting has been utterly absurd. I've seen positioning on the field that I don't understand. Again, I'm not uh, privy to the analytics. And I see a second baseman and shortstop going all different ways to their weak side and trying to make the play when, uh, you know, if a second baseman was going to be a shortstop, he'd be a shortstop. And if a shortstop was a second baseman, he'd be a second baseman. I kind of feel that, you know, the shift and the handling that, Lindor's been public about not liking the shift, has played maybe into both of their frustrations. And then guess what? They're taking it out on each other. And uh, you know what? They're new teammates. It sounds like it's over. And uh, guess what? You don't have to love each other as individuals. All you got to do is play together and, and prepare to, to maximize your contribution to the team. And believe me, you'll be okay. Yeah, I have noticed as there's been just way too much shifting. I think it's like every play every batter the shift is just on you know i remember days where you know ray ordonez would be able to graze across second and and third and be able to get a play like they're not letting these guys make the plays no more flashy plays everything has to be by the book by the standard you know get the ground ball throw it nothing flashy anymore to make us distinguish some of these players in the infield i think the one thing that and again i don't have any numbers to back this up 
This is totally anecdotal, totally eye test. And the Cardinals series brought it to light. I felt like the Cardinals series it just felt like there was more ground balls where a second baseman should have been, more ground balls where a shortstop has been, mm-hmm. third baseman that went into the outfield. Now, I'm not counting the times where there's a ground ball up the middle and the shortstop's standing right there and they step on second to move over. I'm not saying that there's not a value to shifting. But I also know that if you're a second baseman and you're positioned on the grass or you're positioned somewhere up the middle and you got to move to uh, your right or uh, actually, I'm sorry, your, yeah, your right, it's a lot tougher play than you normally. The shortstop, look at, I think it was on Saturday, Lindor had to take a circuitous route to his right to get to a ground ball that turned out to be an infield hit. You got to think about the instincts of the position that you've grown up playing. You're actually taking them out of their normal flow and you're putting them in an unfamiliar spot on the field. Um, they're not, not probably practicing either at. When you take ground balls, you're taking traditional ground balls at shortstop. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's something they look at. I'm not the expert, uh, and I could be completely wrong, and I have no numbers to indicate what the impact is. I do know, and speaking to uh, over the weekend, somebody who's uh, a scout for a, a National League club, that he has said he's been in organizational meetings where they have the, the kind of uh, rhetoric that says, hey, if we had uh, done this defensive positioning X number of times, you would have saved this many runs, which would have led to this many wins. Well, yes, you can do that formula, but that formula is a macro formula, all-encompassing. Every situation is different. You have no idea when you take a bundle or a bulk of stats how to translate that to wins because those runs saved in that game could be a lot different than runs saved in another game. You have no idea. But they're going to go off of that, so they become somewhat of a slave, for lack of a better word, to these numbers. And if you don't follow that edict, the front office is going to be pissed at you as a manager. And guess what? If you don't follow that edict in the modern game, you'll start getting criticized by the advanced analytics in the media. Because that's what they have now. They have numbers to report on. And you don't want to be on the wrong side of that because you could lose your job and or look bad within the industry. It's as much about politics, I think, as it is about you know winning ballgames, unfortunately. Once again, I'm here with Mike Silva, host of the Talkin' Mets podcast. That's Talkin' with no G. Speaking about firings, last week when I posted my show, about a few hours later, Chili Davis and Tom Slater were fired as the hitting coach and the assistant hitting coach, respectively. Hugh Quattlebaum and Kevin Howard were hired. The offense has been struggling all year with runners in scoring position. The same happened last year. Do you feel it was the right time to let Chili and Tom go? I think ultimately that was what was going to happen. Hook go by crook. I think they wanted that to happen in the offseason and they um, they used a opportunity where it was hard to criticize to do it. Um, I think he accomplished a couple of things. Here's some standpoint of an organization where I think it's the right time. It's the right time because you didn't want the guy in there anyway. Uh, it's a hitting coach. It's a window dressing move. It's going to have very little impact on wins and losses. And it sends a message to the club to wake them up saying, hey, don't get too comfortable. We'll send people packing around here. Now, whether that included the manager who supported his coaches and didn't want them fired remains to be seen. Um, he doesn't have a contract for next year. But if I were him, you know, it just goes to show you that these guys will make a change. Uh, you know, it empowers Zach Scott, an interim GM, that is trying to put his imprint on the organization, trying to arrest control because he wants to keep, you know, his position. He doesn't want to go back to being a cabinet member or, or out of the organization. So uh, from a standpoint of the people in charge, it was the perfect time. Do I think it's going to mount to a hill of beans? Look, I've talked to former players. They don't necessarily need the hitting coach. They're there for them. If they want to use them, they can use them. Some of them don't go to them for games or weeks. Some of them have their own people. Derek Cheetah used to go to Rick Down. He never used to go to his own. He didn't go to Kevin Long when he was the hitting coach. Derek Cheetah went to his own guy. So I, I think it'll help certain players and they're a resource, just like uh, anything else, coaches a resource. 
Uh, but whether or not you use them depends on who you are. And, and for the most part, the veterans like a Lindor. Uh, they don't have to use them. What are you going to do? You're going to release Lindor? Now, you start getting into the guys up and down the organization as they try to make it to the big leagues. That's different. But those are more minor league guys, you know, hitting coordinators and things like that. That's what those guys were. Now they're on the big league club, basically a placeholder uh, to me and um it's going to have very little difference. And, uh, you know, the fact that they've been averaging five runs a game for the most part since Chile left um, has nothing to do with Hugh Quattlebaum, who I think I, you know, I, I think you know, Kevin Kernan over at Ball Nine wrote a very interesting piece out. Hugh Quattlebaum is trying to incorporate a more traditional style of hitting along with launch angle into his philosophy. But, uh, you know, I'll be honest, Chili Davis, line-to-line, line-drive approach, uh, I think is an art form lost, and I think he did a nice job with Pete Alonso. You know, I think, uh, you know, Pete certainly speaks highly of him. You know, other players had big years under him, whether they used him or not is a, you know, I don't know that for a fact. You know, a professional like that that played in the big leagues for two decades, uh, you know, that's somebody that I think has something to offer. But unfortunately, in this day and age where you have to be more analytically inclined, you know, more computer-driven, more modern, uh, that's going to be tough for those kind of guys to stick around and go on a coaching staff. They're becoming dinosaurs, uh, for lack of a better word. Now, even though they are on a five-game winning streak, it still doesn't feel like this offense is right at all. Um, I brought this up last week, but if they don't fully get on track here with the offense and runners in scoring position, do you think there could be significant changes to the lineup come next year or even maybe by the trading deadline? I I thought that, like you said, putting this all on Chile, you know, eventually these guys are going to have to hit on their own. So... Maybe the right mix for this lineup is not set yet. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be hard. I mean, if if McNeil has a bad year, Lindor has a bad year, and Dom has a bad year, you know, it's going to be hard to replace all three of those guys. I worry a little bit about McNeil getting a little too home run happy. You know, this Dom's off too slow start, but I'm too, it's too soon for me to really say that because. The only thing you can do this year is that if the pitching continues to be as good as it has been, both bullpen and starters, and you're able to manufacture enough runs. I mean, right now, the way the pitching is, if you average four and a half runs a game, which, you know, is more leaning towards four runs than five runs. I thought this was a team that would be more of a five-run average and be mm-hmm. a bit of a bully offense, knock out mediocre pitchers. They're not been that. They're more of a team that, you know, could, could hit a little bit better against mediocre pitchers, but struggles in general against any good arm. Uh, you could still win a lot of games. Uh, it'll be almost the exact opposite of 2019 when they had a good offense, the bullpen stunk, and they were able to eke out 86 wins. Uh, you may have to do the opposite, where you know the pitch has got to be really, really good, and you got to outpitch to win. So I think it's early to, to to really say that, but I mean, ultimately, can they make a big trade midseason? They have some very interesting prospects that I think are going to be in demand. Already, you heard over the offseason, Francisco Alvarez's name come up. Yeah. Ronnie Mauricio. Uh, I think at the lower levels of the Mets system, they have some very promising prospects. And the temptation to trade those guys to win this year will exist. And the key is, who are the players, if you do trade them, who would those players be? And can you acquire those same players without giving up your jewels? And that might be the real conversation that we get into if they need a bat. If an extra batter, a Chris Bryant on a walk year becomes available, and you're like, I need to inject some life into this offense. I need this guy. You know, who can you give to get that guy? Do you have to give up a big bat? Probably not for Chris Bryant because he's a free agent, but somebody of that ill. You know, what, are the, what does the other team ask for? Because everybody's going to try to be the next Jared Kelnick for Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz deal. Mm-hmm. They're going to want that, so. 
I think we're a little early to say that, but certainly Don Smith is one guy I'm looking at because the, the history isn't that long in terms of offensive success. I'm a little worried about McNeil's swing being longer, even though he's not striking out. Um, you know, I think Lindor, you know, realistically, we could expect the very good Lindor, not the elite Lindor. I think we, we debated whether that was the guy you were getting anyway. And, you know, James McCann is there more for defense than offense, and I'm not really going to worry too much about him, but certainly you expected more than what you got out of him so far. And remember, you also don't have Nimmo and J.D. Davis in the lineup right now, and, and, and it would be interesting to see those guys in there um, when all these other guys get on track. It might, might maybe It's a little too soon for us to make judgments, but 30 games is still long enough for us to say, hmm, maybe the offense is something that we have to reevaluate. Maybe it's not as good as we thought it would be. Now, we can't end this interview without getting to a huge positive takeaway from the Mets so far this season. The bullpen has been outstanding, especially this week with the workload they've had to take on, you know, the two bullpen games and all. Two-part question for you. How impressed are you with the bullpen, and who has impressed you the most coming out of the pen? Well, I've been very... Uh, critical of the Mets bullpen for a long time. I mean, I, I said before the season started that maybe it's been 15 years since they had a good bullpen. Last good bullpen was 2006, and then the only other bullpen I could think that I had some confidence in was the Addison Reed familiar bullpen of 2016 and 2017, and and that was more of 89. You know, you was a little dicey in six and seven. Mm-hmm. Your starters got knocked out early, um, but uh, in general. Um, you know, I think uh, you got to love what you see out of Trevor May. Um, the one big surprise and the guy that if you want to say surprised or impressed, uh, Jerry's familiar starting to look like vintage Jerry's familiar. Maybe not completely, but I don't know if it was that Bryce Harper at bat where he got the big out after the no, you know, the near home run by Hoskins. Yeah. Or that he's finally found his arm slot or that Hefner has worked magic with him, but he's always thrown hard, but he's getting ahead of the of the hitter. And that was what was missing for so long because once he gets ahead of the hitter, that sinker slider, they're gonna have to chase that. They can't lay off that. When it's a two oh count, they don't have to hit that. So uh, and then of course Castro and whatnot. That's been I think the one guy that has learned how to pitch and um a guy that I expected to maybe make a contribution in the sixth inning, but he's been a, he's been good enough now that he's cut his walks down where you can honestly say uh, he's another guy that you could count on in late inning. So, you know, Loop and, and, and what he's done, you got so many uh, options. And then the guys that have filled in, Reed Foley, Barnes, who I, I dumped on all offseason, might be the first reclamation project under this new regime. Uh, you, you really have had, you know, other than Stephen Tarpley, everybody has kind of been best case scenario, if you could say. So you have to feel really good about it. Well, Mike, before we wrap up, let everyone know where they can interact with you on social media and find your podcast. Uh, so at Mike Silver Media on Twitter, uh, you go to talkamentspodcast.com and it'll take you to the Apple Podcast and subscribe. No G, as you've said. And, uh, you know, I'm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You know, if you Google Talking Mets Podcast, there's not a podcast service. It's free. It's a weekly podcast. I do come to uh, everybody with, you know, shorts, you know, during uh, times of news like the Chili Davis firing and, and you know, things like that. Fortunately, I don't have to do a short about Jacob DeGrom being out for the year, so that's good. <laughs> And then, of course, from time to time, I, you know, I interact with, you know, guys like you. It's so nice to see after a long doldrum of barren Mets content that the, I think Steve Cohen has energized the fan base, you know, young guys like you who are trying to get into independent media. And hopefully we get more coverage, more positive and not, not fanboy coverage, but more positive, productive coverage than maybe we've gotten throughout the years. And, and I'm glad to see that, uh, 
you know, guys like you are kind of, you know, getting back into it. Cause if you're, if you think back, you know, a lot of the blogs that were around back during the, you know, Omar Manaya years, they're gone. Yeah. So now podcasting is a thing and hopefully there's good quality podcasts. And I think with analytics and with information, I think all of us are, are better poised to get better content and uh, there's no shortage of fans that want it. So I'm happy to have been on this and thank you so much for having me. I can't thank you enough, Mike, for coming on. I really appreciate this and I hope that we can do this again uh, sometime soon. Call me anytime, Anthony. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. That was Mike Silva, host of the Talkin' Mets podcast. That's Talkin' with no G. So when you search for the Talkin' Mets podcast, make sure that you take that G right on out of there and you'll find it, like he said, on Apple Podcasts and you can follow him at Mike Silva Media. So thanks again, Mike. We appreciate you and we will have you on again. Final thoughts before this train leaves the station. With all that has gone on this past week, it doesn't feel like the Mets have won five games in a row, but they have with great pitching, especially out of the bullpen. Hitting this past weekend from Jeff McNeil and Francisco Lindor, who seems to finally be waking up. What's most important is they are scoring runs the way you should. Not by blasting home runs all the time, but by small ball. You know, station to station, sacrifice flies. Any way you can get the runs in, the Mets should be doing. And they did that this weekend against the Arizona Diamondbacks. And it's a good thing to see. That's what you want to see. Now, the Mets are 16 and 13, three games over 500, and haven't even come together on all cylinders yet. They're in first place, a game up on the Phillies, 7 and 3 in their last 10 games. So far this season, 9 and 4 at home, 7 and 9 on the road, so they're going to have to work on winning some games on the road. Changing courses a little bit here. Willie Mays celebrated his 90th birthday this past week. He played for the New York and San Francisco Giants for 21 years from 1951 to 1972 before he was traded to the New York Mets from 72 to 73, part of the You Gotta Believe Mets that went to the World Series in 1973, just falling one game short. His career batting average with the Mets, he was 238, 14 home runs, 44 RBIs between both seasons. It was kind of the end of the era for Willie Mays, but it was nice to see him come home to New York. I know a lot of fans were really happy to have him back in New York. Joan Payson, happy to have him in New York. And, you know, he won a World Series with the New York Giants in 1954, where he made the infamous The Catch in Game 1 at the Polo Grounds. Just looking at his career, Hall of Famer, two-time MVP, Rookie of the Year, 12 Gold Gloves, two-time All-Star MVP. Now, I bring up Willie Mays. Obviously, it was his birthday. He turned 90. He looks great. I don't know if you saw him in San Francisco. They were celebrating him, driving him around in that cool car. But he looks great, smiling, waving everybody. Now, I'm wondering, and I want to know your thoughts on this. Should the Mets retire his number? I know he was only a Met for a season and a half, but should they retire his number? So many contributions he made, not just for the Mets, but in New York baseball. All those years he played for the New York Giants at the Polo Grounds. Maybe it would be a retiring kind of like how they did Jackie Robinson and what Jackie Robinson meant to baseball and New York baseball. Could Willie Mays get some sort of the same treatment? That's what I want to know from you guys. I think it would be a good thing to do a Willie Mays. I know there's a lot of Mets numbers that need to be retired, but, you know, 
Willie Mays being 90 years old, I would really like to see him one more time by the New York Mets. You know, I think the last time we saw him was maybe the last game at Shea Stadium when they were honoring all the Mets of the past. So it would be nice at least to see him come in. Maybe they can retire his number and well-deserved. What what a career he had. One more note, and that is that Matt Harvey makes his return to City Field to face the Mets Wednesday as the Orioles take on the Mets at 12-10. Harvey's career as a Met, he was 34-37 and with a 3.66 ERA. Now, It was never always a great time, but when Harvey first came out, he was supposed to be the man. Where DeGrom is right now, we all thought that would have been Matt Harvey. I think DeGrom wasn't even a thought at the time. It was Harvey, Syndergaard, Wheeler, even Rafael Montero. DeGrom wasn't even a thought at the time, around 2013-14 And then after Matt Harvey had Tommy John, he came back for 2015, had a great 2015 season, went into the playoffs, pitched very well, had that really great game five of the World Series where, you know, he didn't want to come out and then Terry Collins kept him in way too long and, you know, the Mets ended up losing that game. But I don't think as many people hate Matt Harvey as, you know, one would think. I definitely don't. I enjoyed his time pitching here. I've went to a couple of his games. He pitched very well. I think that even if he were to come back at any point in time, that the Mets fans would have supported it. So Harvey is coming back Wednesday for the first time at City Field. I don't think he's going to get booed out of the stadium. I think fans are going to cheer him. And, you know, a lot of Mets fans that I see on Twitter have mostly been supportive of him and his comeback. So it should be a fun game on Wednesday. It's an early game, so you get to enjoy that. But Matt Harvey returning Wednesday at City Field. Now, as we wrap up this show, please take a few minutes to write me a review. Let me know what you think of the show, okay? You can go on Apple Podcasts, rate the show one to five stars. Hopefully it's five stars. Help me climb the rankings in the sports and baseball and Mets podcasts. And, you know... The more you rate this show and review this show and give positive rating, positive reviews, the more ears get to be put on listening to this podcast. So I would really appreciate if you could take the time, write me a review, let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to make this show better each and every week for you Met fans out there. Now, you can follow the show on Twitter at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. You can also find Subway to Shea on YouTube. This podcast is available on the HSP Network. Catch me alongside podcasts like The Bullpen with DA, Third Floor Lounge, which covers the NFL and NBA, Sus Talk, and the return of the High Spot Podcast, which covers all things professional wrestling. Just search High Spot Podcast on YouTube or youtube.com slash high spot podcast and make sure to subscribe today well that will do it for this week's podcast once again a huge thank you to mike silva of the talking mets podcast we're definitely going to have him on again always remember to listen subscribe share and review for anthony rivera you've been listening to subway to shea and always remember let's go mets (laughs) 